American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today, we're talking about the history of Mardi Gras festivities in the United States. So another episode centered on New Orleans. We've had a number of those, haven't we? It's a great city, and a number of remarkable Catholics have certainly left their mark. Margaret Hari, Henriette de Lille, the Ursuline Convent, and so many others. That is certainly true, and we'll link to those other episodes in our show notes. And it would be a fantastic place to plan a pilgrimage, maybe even during Carnival. Well, working on that. Maybe we'll set up a pilgrimage to New Orleans, but let's start by letting the listeners know about Carnival so they can decide if they'd like to join okay, us. Okay, so Mardi Gras and Carnival. Some of our dear listeners may be wondering why we are doing an episode about what is essentially a celebration of Bacchanalia. <laughs> because that is not what Mardi Gras and Carnival are all about. Of course not. Carnival, culminating in Mardi Gras, is a season of celebration tied to the church's liturgical calendar. Right, but like St. Patrick's Day, the common celebration most people know nowadays is a very different thing from the real celebration and what it's actually about. Secular culture has a tendency to just latch on to the flashy externals of sacred festivals and feasts and make a spectacle of them in its own hedonistic way, leaving the sacred parts behind. Yes, the parts that would challenge the consciences of the revelers if they let themselves think too much about the reality. Christmas, of course, is the best example, which is why Advent is ignored. Funny you should mention Advent, because Advent is, of course, the liturgical season before Christmas Day. Likewise with Mardi Gras, the festivities and parades and balls associated with Mardi Gras take place during the weeks prior to Lent, a period known as Carnival. Yes, Carnival is the period between the Epiphany on January 6th and the beginning of Lent, which is, of course, Ash Wednesday. The day before Ash Wednesday is Mardi Gras, which translates into English as Fat Tuesday. So Carnival begins after Epiphany and ends on Mardi Gras. But unlike Advent, Carnival isn't an official liturgical season, and it certainly isn't a time of penitential preparation. Carnival, in contrast, is a time of continuing celebration. It's a holdover of the festive season of Christmas and a time to keep celebrating before Lent arrives. It's an extraordinary time. And while it's not a penitential season, it does have an aspect of preparation for penance. Its name, Carnival, comes from one of two Latin phrases, either carne lavare, which means to leave meat, or carne vale, which means goodbye meat. In either case, the coming fast and abstinence of the Lenten season is indicated. So it is a time to celebrate, but even its name, Carnival, keeps the forthcoming penances in mind. And this is not the sense of the word that I had growing up, hearing the Carnival is coming to town. Yeah, it puts a different sense to the name Carnival Cruise Lines. I wonder how many of their customers are thinking about Lent-style penances while sailing the Caribbean. Seriously. But again, secular culture takes the flashy bits and comfortably ignores the harder realities. And Carnival, culminating in Mardi Gras, has been celebrated with festivals of various sorts for centuries in Catholic countries. So when Catholics came to the Americas, naturally, they brought their festivities with them. The first known celebration of Mardi Gras in the New World was in 1699, when the French brothers Pierre Lemoyne d'Iberville and Jean-Baptiste Lemoyne Bienville 
came over with a royal mandate from King Louis XIV to secure the French territories in the New World. Ash Wednesday that year was on March 4th. Deberville sailed up the Mississippi River on Monday, March 2nd, waiting until the next day to go ashore. When they did go ashore, they knew it was Tuesday, March 3rd, so it was Mardi Gras. They arranged a banquet on shore that day, and in honor of the occasion, Deberville named the spot Point du Mardi Gras. That spot is about 60 miles downriver from present-day New Orleans. So the first Mardi Gras in America was in present-day Louisiana, but not in New Orleans because New Orleans didn't exist until 1718. Happily, the New World didn't have to wait for New Orleans to be founded to find out in a public way what Mardi Gras was. Three years after that first Mardi Gras, d'Iberville's brother, Jean-Baptiste Lemoyne Bienville, founded the settlement of Mobile a little ways east along the Gulf Coast. The very next year, 1703, the settlers celebrated Carnival and Mardi Gras there in Mobile, and Mobile has been celebrating it basically every year ever since. Right. The only exceptions have been for war and disease, understandably. This means that the present-day city of Mobile, Alabama, holds the claim to the longest annual Mardi Gras celebration in the New World. But as everyone knows, nowadays, New Orleans is the city most identified with Mardi Gras. Of course. The French Quarter, King Cake, the parades, beads, and all that jazz. Carnival and Mardi Gras happen in the way they do because civic groups called crews make it happen. Crews, which is spelled K-R-E-W-E-S, started out as sort of secret societies and outgrowths of men's social clubs, which were generally selective and exclusive. The crews collect dues, conduct fundraising activities, and hold member functions of various sorts during the year, but their main purpose is to host carnival activities, like a ball or a parade, sometimes both. The first crew was Masque de la Mobile, which lasted from 1704 to 1709, and handled coordinating Mardi Gras balls and parades in Mobile. In 1710, the Bouffe Gras Society took over, and they paraded a large bull's head through the streets. Bouffe Gras is French for the fatted cow, again alluding to the feast that was appropriate before saying goodbye to meat. Bouffe Gras ran the parade and ball in Mobile until 1861. By the time they yielded to the next organizer of things in Mobile, New Orleans was starting to hit its Mardi Gras strike. Public Mardi Gras celebrations in New Orleans began in the 1730s, with the first elegant society balls happening in the 1740s. By the 1830s, public parades were happening, but the first real organized crew parade wasn't until 1857. That year, the mystic crew of Comus organized what we would recognize as the first real Mardi Gras parade, and just to tie it all together, the mystic crew of Comus was founded by six young men who were originally from Mobile. The parades were canceled during the Civil War, but the mystic crew of Comus resumed their parade in 1866, and they were joined shortly thereafter by other crews. This was when things started taking off, and the crews began trying to outdo each other with even more elaborate floats, costumes, and masks. About 1870, crew members began tossing necklaces of beads from their floats to the bystanders. The exact reason for this isn't known, but one legend says this was started by a man who had dressed up as Santa Claus. Naturally, if he's Santa Claus, he ought to be distributing gifts. Well, the tradition stuck and became an essential part of all parades. Those first many years, the strings of beads were glass, so they were real jewelry. Today, the items tossed include strings of plastic or aluminum beads, as well as cups, doubloons, and other items like frisbees. At some parades, the more venerable and well-to-do crews 
spend extra money on special items such as hand-painted coconuts, hand-painted glitter shoes, medallions with the crew's name and the year stamped on them, and some very elaborate strings of beads. And in 1872, Mardi Gras festivities acquired their official colors of purple, green, and gold. But in a most unexpected way, it involves Russian royalty. Yes, in 1872, Grand Duke Alexei Alexandrovich Romanov, a 22-year-old fourth son of the Tsar of Russia, came to the United States on a goodwill tour on behalf of his father. Local businessmen saw an opportunity. They created a new thing within the Mardi Gras festivities, the King of Carnival, who would preside over the day's activities and offered the Grand Duke the crown. To help entice him, they declared his family colors as the official colors of Mardi Gras, declaring that the purple stands for justice, green for faith, and gold for power. He agreed, and thus it has remained ever since. Mardi Gras parades and events continued to become ever more elaborate over the years, and more and more crews meant more and more parades and balls. Nowadays, Mardi Gras is an official state holiday in Louisiana, while in Alabama, the two counties on the Gulf Coast, Baldwin and Mobile, also observe it as a holiday. Mardi Gras itself ends with the Rex Ball as the king and queen and their court, basically the creme de la creme of New Orleans society, attend the high society event. The ball ends at the stroke of midnight when the curtains are drawn, thus ending Carnival and Mardi Gras with the beginning of Ash Wednesday. Now, you actually went to Mardi Gras in New Orleans a number of years back and can attest that, for the most part, it is nothing like the common perception that people get from stories of the French Quarter. Well, right, in the French Quarter it is, but none of the parades take place on Bourbon Street or anywhere in the French Quarter because the streets are too narrow. Yeah, you said that the parades are actually fairly family-friendly. Lots of families come out together. They do, and they put their kids up on ladders and watch the parades go by. If you want to get beads, it's actually a great strategy to position yourself right next to babies. Yeah, of course. So I was there because my friend Carrie, who was from New Orleans, we had been talking about getting together for a while. And then she told me he was entering the convent and my next break was spring break. So I said, I will be there. And it happened to be Mardi Gras and Carnival at that time. Her father was in a men's club. And so we got to go out from the second story onto the risers they had built outside of his clubhouse and watch the parades going by on Monday before Mardi Gras. So Mardi Lundi. No, that's good. <laughs> Mardi Lundi. That's no, right. No, I was Mardi trying Lundi. to think that Lundi off Gras. the top of my head. Lundi Gras, right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, being elevated gave us a great, a great view. One of the crews in their parade who went by was friends of their club. And so they threw lots and lots of beads at us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've seen, I've actually seen a bunch of those beads. You came back with a huge box and we actually wear them at the Mardi Gras gala every year. Yeah, it was an amazing experience, right? And I started hosting Mardi Gras gatherings when I came home. Wherever I lived, I would make a point to have a Mardi Gras party. Right. And you also, of course, had the other traditional thing that's that's associated with this that we haven't mentioned yet, and that is a king cake. Yes, king cake. For those unfamiliar, it's a circular cake made with a brioche dough that could be braided or rolled like a jelly roll or just formed into, formed a, into a circle, right? And it could be flavored with cinnamon, cream cheese, fruit fillings, or just plain I usually like to make them my own, but you can order them. And it's iced with purple, green, and gold. Those colors are Mardi Gras. And it's delicious. <laughs> it's delicious. The, actually, the odd and unique thing about king cake is that there's always a little something baked into it to be found by one lucky person. Originally, that something was a dried bean or a token of some sort. 
But nowadays, most of those who make king cakes use a little plastic baby, and whoever gets the piece of cake with the baby is responsible for bringing the king cake to the next gathering or to host the next gathering. The prizes vary. Yeah. Now, king cake, as the name denotes, actually is, of course, an epiphany tradition. It comes from lots of cultures have different kinds of cakes. So, of course, it comes in Mardi Gras, starting again at epiphany and continuing through the season. It's delicious. shaped like a crown and it has the kingly colors on it. And it is delicious. Yes. Um, There are actually bakeries in the New Orleans area that ship them for not that much money. We get a couple dozen shipped every year from Joe Gambino's for the Mardi Gras Gala fundraiser for Hilltop Children's House, the nonprofit Montessori school that we started in 2017 here in Steubenville to benefit the kids in our inner city neighborhood. And the king cake is always a hit. Carnival and Mardi Gras are biggest in New Orleans, Mobile, and other cities along the Gulf Coast like Galveston, but the tradition spread to other cities in the United States over the years, especially to cities like St. Louis that were French settlements or that had large French populations. Nowadays, there are lots of cities with something like the parades and society balls that have characterized the celebration for centuries in Mobile and New Orleans. But the real story of Carnival and Mardi Gras is its place in the life of the faith. This is American Catholic history, after all. As we said, it isn't an official liturgical season like Lent or Advent, but it takes place between the great joyous season of Christmastide and the penitential season of Lent. Yes, so it is part of the rhythm of the year. There are times to feast and times to fast, as well as times to just abide in the glow of what has gone before while preparing for the work of what is to come. This space is where Carnival lives. It is a period when we can say, wasn't Christmas wonderful? Ah, yes. And in these weeks after Epiphany, let us prepare for Lent. So maybe this year, or maybe starting next year, give some thought to the carnival season and the celebrations that culminate on Mardi Gras. We'll share some resources in our show notes, including a link to a good king cake recipe and a link to Joe Gambino's Bakery if you'd like to order yourself a king cake straight from New Orleans. And most importantly, let the carnival season help you remember Christmas and Epiphany while preparing your heart and mind for Lent. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help us out by giving us a five-star rating and a good review. And we ask you to consider supporting the work of SQPN. Yes, now is a great time to become a StarQuest patron. Thanks to a generous gift from a StarQuest supporter, when you start a new Patreon monthly pledge at sqpn.com give, the first three months will be matched by an equal amount from our donor. So if you become a new patron at $10 per month, after three months, our donor will give $30 to StarQuest to support all of our shows, including American Catholic History, making your gift go even further. If you've been thinking of becoming a StarQuest patron, now is the time. Visit sqpn.com give today. To learn more about the history of Mardi Gras, to find previous episodes, or to learn about our upcoming pilgrimage to the Kentucky Holy Land and Bourbon Country, please visit sqpn.com slash history. We also love feedback and hearing about great Catholic history sites and stories from all over. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Catholic History, Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, or follow StarQuest on Twitter at sqpn. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest.